Uh, we are entitled this this morning, Jesus is Better Than Excellent. So we think of excellent as perfect, right? But Jesus is actually better than that. And so uh, this whole book of Hebrews is just exalting Christ higher and higher and higher. And I hope you feel that in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, as, as you continue to, to sort of focus in on some of these challenging things. Pastor Mike took two weeks to, to really walk us through this crazy Melchizedek thing that they were, they were dealing with and understanding. And I don't know if we fully understand it all yet, but we're learning more and more. So as we look at God's word together... I want you to understand, again, we told you this uh, several times, but that the book of Hebrews was written to first-generation Christians who were Hebrew or who were Jewish in their tradition. So they were coming out of all the traditions of the Old Testament. Now, by looking at it ourselves as New Testament believers, it helps us to understand Christ better. It helps us to understand some of the things that we read in the Old Testament that seem very confusing to us. It helps us to understand them better. So... Let's open up our hearts and our minds to Christ and to the Spirit as we look at his word this morning. Now, if we had a campfire, if we were outside and we were able to, to have a bonfire, there would be smells and there would be sounds from the crackling of the wood. And if we were roasting hot dogs on it, we, we could smell that. And I want you to understand that, that when we're reading a passage, we're not getting the fullness of the life and the lifestyle that the people who were reading it, who are, who are hearing it for the first time, were experiencing. We may not be drawn to the sights and the sounds and the smells and the tastes of the temple on Mount Zion, but those first hearers were. The generations of Israel's people had associated the temple and the tabernacle before that, but the temple worship with God's presence here on earth. And they were continually going there for reassurance that their sins could be forgiven through the animal bodies that were broken and the blood that was poured out and the sacrifices that were burned on that altar. And it was a full experience. It wasn't uh, just reading books, black and white, on a, on a piece of paper like we do. They lived it out. They went there. They, they heard the animals before they were being slaughtered. They, they smelled the, the smoke from the altar. And they associated all of that with the closeness of God to them as a people. The first generation who heard this Hebrew sermon needed to leave that behind. We heard that in our message last week, the necessity of the newness. They needed to leave that behind, and they needed to realize something extremely important, that the offering which Jesus offered was the final sacrifice for sin, for all kind, for all time, and for all kinds of sins, for every sin that was ever committed. And that he now has entered a better temple, better well, I guess the temple that was built there for them was like one of the seven wonders of the world. It was an amazing place. If you read the description of it and the detail that God put into it as he laid out that plan for them, it was a beautiful place. But Jesus has entered a better temple. He has offered a better sacrifice. And 
even though it's unseen by our human eyes and we don't smell the burning of that sacrifice or we don't experience it in our physical bodies, it reveals the reality of what's truly happening now. The old memory, the earthly temple, has been cast off into the shadows and something new has replaced it. Now, this had to be confusing and difficult for these early Christian believers. But you know what? We also get confused sometimes in a similar way because the physical world seems so real to us. What we can smell and taste and touch and feel seems more real sometimes than the spiritual world because it doesn't require faith. We have proof. We can touch it, we can hear it, we can see it with our eyes. And so sometimes we also get confused as they were. The physical world, with all of its shiny toys, all of its distractions, often causes us to confuse what is most visible with what is most significant. Just because we can see and feel and touch something doesn't mean it's more important or better than something else. The message of Hebrews helps us with this problem. Not by denying the the physical reality that there isn't a, a physical world. Of course there is. God created it. But by opening up our eyes, the eyes of faith, to the spiritual reality, the eternal reality of a heavenly sanctuary where Jesus, our heavenly sacrifice, is now interceding for us and ministering a brand new covenant which restores us to God. It restores us to God. That's what we were created for, to have a relationship with God. But that relationship was broken because of sin and nothing could restore it permanently until Jesus came. He has now made the permanent sacrifice, the one and only one that was needed to finish the payment for our sins. So as we read through these, as Josh read through these first six verses, notice that the, 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 the preacher of Hebrews was basically just summarizing what he said before. In fact, he says at the beginning of this, the point of what we are saying in these previous chapters about Jesus is this. Number one. Jesus is the new high priest. Number two, he's doing his ministry of priesthood not in a man-made temple, in a location on this globe, but in heaven itself. Number three, where he himself brings he himself as the offering. His body, his blood, Shed for us. No more lambs and goats and and bulls. That needed to be repeated again and again. He was the perfect Lamb of God. So if Jesus was a high priest here on earth, he would be disqualified, as we learned a couple weeks ago. He couldn't serve because he actually was from the the wrong lineage. You had to be from the tribe of Levi to be a priest in Jerusalem. And he was from the tribe of Judah. But we all know he is the son of God. So his lineage is perfect. Perfect for what he's doing. So this review, these first, these first five verses, leads us up to the main point, the meat. The meat of this passage is verse 6. 
Now you have to open your Bibles because it looks like we're having a little technical difficulty. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 8. Look at verse 6. And I want you to, to realize something. This is the, the whole point of all this review. It says, but the ministry of Jesus has received, is superior to the ministry of all those other priests who came before. And it is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which they were functioning under is superior to the new covenant. His new covenant is superior to that one. So the verse says, but the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one. And it is founded on better promises. So these better promises are what we want to look at this morning. There we go. Thanks, Tom. In verse 6, Christ's ministry is called superior. The word there in Greek, it means not simply better, doesn't even mean simply the best. It means superior to that which is in itself already excellent. So I don't know how you get higher than that, but God found a way. He, he created Christ and a ministry for Christ to have to us, to rescue us as sinners, which is now superior to that which was already excellent, so it's better than better than best. And this is the new covenant. This is the new covenant that Christ actually instituted at the Last Supper. In 1 Corinthians 11.25, Pastor Mike read it this morning, where, where we read, this is the cup. It is the new covenant in my blood. So Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, it says, the covenant of which he is the mediator is superior to the old covenant. It's better than that. But why is it better? That's what I want us to know before we leave here this morning. Why is the covenant better? Well, the answer is found at the end of verse 6. It is founded on better promises. Better promises. So the first one had some promises. We're going to look at those. This one has better promises. So let's look at both of these to see why. So what was the old covenant promise based on? This promise, these promises are found in Deuteronomy chapter 7, starting at verse 11, and you can read through that if you want to later on today. But these are the old covenant promises. Number one, they would be blessed with land, with physical land, the promised land it was called. Their enemies would not be able to stand up against them. They would be victorious. The rain, the seasons would be balanced so that the rain would fall at the right time and the sun would shine at the right time so that their crops would be plentiful. Their children would be free. Now, these were slaves. These were people who were saved from slavery, fought 400 years. Their children would be free. They would not be slaves to any man or any nation. And there would be peace with their neighbors. That was the first covenant, the Old Testament covenant promise. Now, these are really nice promises. I don't see anything wrong with them. But notice, every one of them is for this world. Every one of them is for this physical world in which we live in. 
the old covenant made no provision for eternity. No provision for heaven. They didn't promise heaven. It was all about here and now. Everything about it was about the physical world and how we live in this physical world. God never actually said to his people there in the first covenant, keep this law, obey it, and you'll go to heaven. There's no verse like that. So this tells us that the old covenant wasn't actually meant to last forever. It was temporary. That it was not meant to cover all of the bases in our relationship with God. So how do we know that? Because the quote of Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, comes just after this passage in chapter 8. In the next few verses, which we'll look at in more detail next week, we see where God goes on to talk about the new covenant. And the key difference between these two covenants is eternal, eternal salvation, or we could call it eternal blessing. So we had temporary blessings in the old covenant, and now we have a new covenant which gives eternal blessings, blessings that don't end when you die, blessings that actually begin to ramp up when you die. Verse 12 actually says, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sin no more. I love that part. Do you love that part? I love that part because I know I'm a sinner and I need, I need a God who can forgive me and forget. Now, we're all kind of bound in this earth. We have a hard time with the forget part. Sometimes we go through the forgiveness, but then we want to hold on to the memory of that thing just in case. And if someone messes up again, we say, you know, you did this 10 times before already. I love that God doesn't do that to me. Do you love that? I love that. So the old covenant could not permanently take away the sins of the people. We know that because they had to continue to return to the temple in these regular intervals. and They had to continue to sacrifice animals again and again every year so that their sins would be washed out for that past year. And then they would make promises about the new year. I'll do better this year, God. And then they'd walk through the new year. And because they're human like us, they wouldn't do so good. And they'd have to come back for forgiveness again. Their relationship with God was always troubled because of that. Because sin does separate us from God. And we need forgiveness in order to walk in the fullness of the relationship that God wants with us. And this eternal salvation, this new covenant, had been planned by God a long time ago to take care of that problem. The old covenant was unable to do what the new covenant can do. The new covenant is so much more excellent that it can give us eternal life, an eternal life of blessing. Now, how do we know it's blessing? Because even the few descriptions we have of heaven sound like the place I want to be forever. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more sin, no more night, no more darkness. No more fear. All the things that cause us so many problems in this life don't exist there because God is there. The perfect environment that we were actually created to live in is where we will be. No more of this troubled life, these heavy burdens. God will have washed them all out. Hallelujah. 
So this new covenant is more excellent because it lasts forever. God actually continues to say in, in, through the prophet Jeremiah, the new covenant will not be like the old covenant. It says in verse 9 here of chapter 8. So what was the old covenant like? Well, we already said it was all physical. It was all for, for the here and now. In fact, there was a physical symbol of it. Circumcision, a physical mark on the body was a sign of the old covenant. But it involved the promises for land and safety and crops, but it was all temporary. The new covenant, it promises so many different things. They're spiritual things. They're eternal things. They're things that take faith to believe in, but they are real. They're more real than the real that we're in right now. This will pass away. This will be gone. And the new heaven and the new earth will last forever. So the new covenant promises are even outlined in in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul says, Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In the heavenly realms. You see, as Christians, we have to live in this world, not be of this world, but we have to keep our focus on what God has given to us in Christ. Spiritual blessings, heavenly blessings, eternal blessings that don't all materialize in this life. And we're going to see that when we get to Hebrews chapter 11. Some experience blessing in this life, but many people do not. But in Christ, all people can experience blessing in the next life. If we don't acknowledge the difference between these two covenants, one focused on this world and all that can be gotten in this world, and one focused on the next world and all that is given to us in that, We might actually have some trouble with the prosperity gospel because I think those who believe in that health, wealth gospel are very focused on the here and now. Very focused on their car that they drive, the house that they live in, the amount of money that they have. And not so focused on the eternal blessings that God has given us in Christ Jesus. So we need to watch out for that. You were created for heaven, for a relationship with God forever. You weren't created for these 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years. I know that's shocking because everything in our world tells us otherwise. But the Bible tells us the truth. You were created for a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit, through Christ's sacrifice, and you will live forever in blessing because of it. The blessings of the old covenant are the physical ones and they're temporary. The blessings of the new covenant are the spiritual ones and they are eternal and they are worth far more than anything you could ever have on this earth. That's not the only difference between these two covenants. The terms of the two covenants are also very different. Now, most of you adults have probably gone through the long and detailed process of getting a car loan or buying a new car. And signing contracts where you agree to sign this and agree to sign that. And you make all kinds of promises because you want that new new car. And those are referred to as the terms of the contract. 
or the terms of the covenant. The seller says, we'll give you this brand new shiny car if you make all the payments and get full insurance. Then you can have it. You can drive it off the lot today. Here's the keys. Jingle, jingle, jingle. You know, go for it, right? So they'll give it to you. That's their promise. They'll give it to you if you are faithful in your payments. If you fall behind in your payments, guess what? The repo man comes. He'll come and put your car in a trailer and take it back to the dealer and they'll sell it all over again. But if you keep that, eventually, if you keep your promise, if you keep your contract or your terms, you will eventually own that car. You'll get the title sent to you in the mail and you'll feel good about it. It's yours, finally. But the terms are, you do this and we'll give you this. The old covenant, God said clearly to his people, if you keep all my laws and obey them, I'll do this. I'll bless your land. I'll bless your crops. I'll bless your children. Next slide, Tom. The new covenant is not a covenant of, of obedience. The old covenant, you had to obey to receive those blessings. The new covenant, I'm glad we're not under the old covenant. The new covenant is a covenant of belief or faith or believing, right? Now, we all know John 3.16, but if you need to look it up, I'll give you a minute. Turn in your gospel, to the, I mean, turn in your Bible to the gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, eternal salvation, eternal blessing, all wrapped up in that eternal life. Whoever obeys him shall have eternal life. Whoever lives perfectly, never fails, always does what they say they're going to do, keeps all their promises, will have eternal life. No. It's a covenant of faith. Whoever believes in him will receive that blessing. So those are the terms. If you believe in Christ, you get eternal life and the eternal blessings that come with it. Now, let me clarify a little bit because the English language word belief or believe is a little shallow or more shallower, right, than, than the Greek, right? Because we, we think like, yeah, I believe that Jesus was real and we think like that's belief. That ain't enough. That's an acknowledgement of a fact, Jesus was real. Belief is, a biblical concept of belief, is your total confidence in, dependence on, hope for, a life following after Christ. To place all of your faith in his work on your behalf. Not on your works. To walk in faith daily until one day you make it to heaven because of what Christ did for you. Now, here's why the terms of the new covenant are so much better. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for it's by grace you have been saved. Through faith, 
And this is not even of your own doing. In other words, you can't do this. It is a gift from God. Not by works, so that no one can boast about it. It's a free gift from God. This is what sets the new covenant apart from the old covenant. Faith in Christ and Christ alone. Walking in that faith, living into that faith, trusting and putting your confidence in Christ and what he has done for you. The old covenant is based on what you do. The new covenant is based on what Jesus did for you. And you accepting that. You walking in that. You meditating on that. You letting that sink in deeply to your soul. What does that mean about my relationship with God? Your relationship with God is restored because of this. Because of what Christ has done. We simply have to put our, our life in that direction. Hoping, trusting, putting our confidence in what he did. Believing that what he did is enough. So my question for you is, have you done it? Have you put your faith and trust in what God did through Christ for you? Not do you know it's a fact historically. Not that you believe some of this and don't believe the rest. Have you put your faith and trust in him so that your relationship with God is reestablished and you can begin to grow in that relationship? You don't have to keep the law perfectly, thank God, to be forgiven. Jesus did the work for you so that you can be forgiven. Now, those of you who like to keep the law, those of you who are law keepers, which isn't a bad thing, but just remember, it's, it's a little radical, this message. Because in this message, it, it, it feels like the, the opposite end of this message is that you can do whatever you want. You just have to believe in Jesus, but then you can do whatever you want. And that's not actually the message. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans. You read chapter 6, 7, and 8, you'll get it. There is someone who moves in to your life when you accept Christ as your Savior. He comes to you. Jesus sent him. He's God's spirit, the Holy Spirit. And as he lives in you and works in you and, and teaches you and guides you and corrects you, as he does that work, you begin to want to keep the law. You begin to want to please God. Now, you don't every day all the time. You have ups and downs. We have good days and bad days because we're human, right? And we get to confess and be receiving forgiveness all over again. But as the Spirit sanctifies us, as He purifies us, as He changes us and molds us and makes us, we start to become more like Jesus in the inside. So not, not the law keeper from the outside. Here's the rules, here's the regulations, keep them, keep them, keep them. No, no, no. On the inside, your desires begin to change. If you are born again of the Spirit, your love for God increases. And because your love for God increases... Your desire to be what he wants you to be increases. And he wants you to be a light to the world. He wants you to be one that loves others and, and forgives others and walks in grace towards others because that love and forgiveness and grace has been lavished on you, Scripture says, poured out on you and continues to be poured out on you as you need it day by day. So have you accepted his great gift 
We're going to rejoice in baptism in a couple weeks because there are those young and old in our midst who have accepted this great gift and they want to they display it. They want people to know it. But that's just one day on the calendar in their lives and if you've done it in your life as well. We're to live that way every day. Desiring for others to know that we love Jesus. We believe that what he did when he died and rose again was, was for us. And that we walk in the grace and forgiveness because of what he did, not what we did. We're not religious people in the sense of law-abiding, religious people who earn their way into God's good graces. We're radical grace people. God's grace is radical. It's risky. God took it. God took that risk on in Christ for us. And we can be called the children of God. So we'll be looking at uh, the, the Spirit's work in just a few chapters as well as, the, as the, faith, the faith that God puts in us isn't even our own. He gives it to us. God gives us faith so that we may believe in him. But let's pray together that, that even if you've just got a tiny mustard seed of faith here today, that your desire to grow in God and grow closer in your relationship with God will go deeper and deeper. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that the covenant of old is not the covenant of new. We thank you that because of what he did for us, we have the right to be called the children of God through just putting our faith, our trust, our belief in him. God, sometimes it's so simple, we want to complicate it. It's like too good to be true. But it's true. You loved the world so much. You gave your one and only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever, whoever, man, woman, boy, girl, whoever believes in you and in Christ's work will not perish but live in eternal blessing. We thank you for that. That is the gospel. We praise you for our new high priest. We praise you for our new covenant. We praise you for the better promises that come through Jesus to us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.